Managing Violence Podcast, Season 4, Episode 8, with Ryan Hoover. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to the Managing Violence Podcast. Thank you for joining me in amongst all the craziness that is going on in the world right now. Uh, my guest for this episode is Mr. Ryan Hoover. Now, Ryan is a second degree black belt in Krav Maga. He's written three books on Krav Maga, but uh, has since liberated himself from that classical mess, if we were to quote a Bruce Leeism, and uh, and now is really fixated on just helping people be safer and fitter and healthier and uh, well look better at life. So uh, he's a, he's a pretty outspoken cat. He's uh, ruffled a few feathers in his time, but is a wonderful down to earth human being. It was a great pleasure to chat with him. I'm not going to go on too long today because uh, I want to get to this interview. I want to give you guys some entertainment and some enlightenment and some education uh, in amongst everything that is going on right now. But I would be remiss not to mention uh, one of the things I want to do uh, for the next couple of weeks, uh, as uh, I'm sure most of you are aware, if you're listening to this in the future, just to date this episode, we are right in the middle of COVID-19, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, we are seeing worldwide closures of martial arts gyms, of uh, well, gyms of all kinds, different um, uh, different places of public gathering, and a lot of people are struggling. A lot of people are doing it hard, uh, including some of my former guests that are some of the best in the world at what they do, are suddenly finding themselves without an income stream. So, uh, to help out in that regard, what I want to do is offer three free sponsorship slots every single episode uh, to businesses that are currently operating, that are providing a service that may be of interest to Managing Violence podcast listeners. Uh, preference will go to former guests and to those that have been uh, supporters of the show. But uh, if you have an online service uh, or you have a service that is, uh, that is still operational, but you've been affected by COVID-19 and uh, you need a little bit of help to drive some attention, I would like to offer that to you, three free sponsorship slots sponsor slots rather uh every single episode uh moving forward from next week onwards that's it if you have anything that you want to uh that you want me to plug then head on over to our facebook um managing violence podcast on facebook or managing violence tribe for the group send me a message on there and uh we'll have a chat all right without further ado here is ryan hoover uh, Ryan Hoover, thank you for joining us on the Managing Violence podcast. It's great to have you here. You've been uh, a suggested guest for several seasons now, and I'm, I'm glad we uh, we hooked up. Yeah, man, me too. I appreciate the invite. Um, though I might question those guys that are wanting you to have me on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. It's, uh, it's mostly the Krav Maga guys that have been uh, saying, get Ryan Hoover on. And I thought, <laughs> have you heard what he has to say about Krav Maga? <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that. And that could go one of two ways. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, for those people that don't know a whole lot about you, uh, let's let's dive into your story. Uh, who is Ryan Hoover and how did you get to where you are? Um, so, I, you know, I actually kind of came to this uh, a bit later in life. You know, a lot of people, I think, in our industry that have kind of made a name for themselves started pretty early. Um, for me, it was much later in life. I, you know, something I was always interested in something, you know, that I always wanted to do, but never really had the opportunity, um, was, was involved in 
competitive sports, but never really had the chance to, to really delve into martial arts, self-defense, fighting, whatever, too, too much. Um, and, and so, you know, like, like a lot of people, once I, when I, I did, I, I kind of went the traditional martial arts route, got a few black belts and a couple of different things. And, um, growing out up, I had my fair share of fights. I was always, and, and still am, I was always kind of on the smaller side. Um, and so I learned pretty early on that I needed to learn to talk and fight and run fast. Um, and some of those things I was better at than others. Um, skills. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but there are all things that I, you know, I, I kind of self-taught um, for a while. And then um, went the traditional martial arts route for several years. Um, and at some point, I kind of had this epiphany that, you know, nothing I was doing really looked too much like the fights that I had been in. Um, and, and so I wanted something that I, I felt more closely resembled what, what my experience in, in real world violence had been like. So I, you know, I got into some wrestling and some jiu-jitsu, uh, some Muay Thai, some boxing, um, did uh, some Filipino martial arts. Um, and then I just happened upon a, an article in, in a magazine about Krav Maga. And I'm in the, the southern part of the U.S. And, and at that time, there was no Krav Maga here. And, and there was very little on the whole East Coast. So... I made a call out to uh, Krav Maga Worldwide Headquarters in Los Angeles. I said, this looks really interesting to me. I want to know more. They said, we have an instructor course coming up in a couple of weeks if you want to get in on it. And at that time, they were really trying to, to spread the system. Um, and so most of the people that were going through an instructor course, they had some kind of athletic background, some kind of fighting background, some kind of martial arts background, but they didn't have a Krav Maga background because it just wasn't available. Sure. Um, they were taking people, you know, with no real experience in Krav Maga. And so I showed up having never seen anything about Krav Maga other than this one article. And it was eight days. Um, we did maybe eight to 10 hours a day. I think we had one day that was 12 day, hours. Um, and it was rough, man. It was, it was pretty brutal, you know, uh, after day one, I was like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> um, after about day three, I was like, yeah, this is what I want. Um, but it was, it was, it was, it was tough. You know, I mean, I think a big part of it was, all right, we're going to spread this system. Um, but we want some really tough people. Um, and I, and I, I saw people, you know, day one, leave or, or, or not come back because of injuries or whatever. And that kind of carried on throughout the week. And so after that, you know, I, I was pretty bought in. Um, I had, tra I did a lot of traveling to train. Um, anytime I could go to a seminar, anytime I could get into an instructor course, I could, um, I kind of, you know, total immersion into it. And I was still doing the other things that I'd been training in. I was still doing jujitsu and, and, and boxing and whatever. Um, and, you know, at some point I kind of got pretty heavily involved with Krav Maga. I, you know, I ended up co-authoring a few books on it and um, I was on an advisory board and I was running instructor courses for them and, and those kinds of things. And I was really bought into 
the principles of Krav Maga um, as they were were sold, I guess. Um, and, and so that was kind of, I, I guess, that story. Um, you know, I, I, at the time I was still though looking at what other people were doing. I I brought Rich Dimitri in to teach a seminar. Um, I taught a seminar with Rich Dimitri. Um, I was bringing in Boss Rutten and Randy Couture and Rich Franklin and, you know, I, Shogun Huai and um, kind of doing everything I could to expose myself and expose my instructors and expose my students to as many different ways of dealing with violence as possible. So I kind of ran the gamut from a Richard Dimitri, who is, you know, as, as, as far from something that looks like combat sports as you could possibly get mm -hmm. um, to, you know, Randy Couture, who's been doing combat sports since he was four. Yeah. Uh, and, and so those experiences, and at the time I was, I was doing a lot of uh, studying of Jeff Thompson, reading a lot of Jeff Thompson stuff, even did some, some phone calls with Jeff and uh, kind of went that route, but was also looking heavily at what Eric Paulson was doing. And, you know, so I tried to uh, – touch hands with and, and, and make contact with as many different people that were touching the, the, the self-defense fighting kind of milieu as I, as I could, um, no matter what extreme they were on. That's really interesting, man. It's, it, it's something that, um, yeah, I've been preaching for years and it's, it's kind of refreshing to hear someone uh, with the same viewpoint because uh, yeah, I started out in traditional martial arts, got really into combat sports and, uh, and MMA and, uh, and then found reality-based yeah, systems, um, became an instructor under Rich Dimitri. Uh, and uh, so, but, but I always kept that connection with, you know, with the MMA and with, um, you know, with judo and with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, and, and I've always found there's a, there's a great, um, benefit to to having that grounding in combat sport to supplement the reality of self-defense uh and i think sometimes we'll get into this actually I'll, I'll let you elaborate on this because uh from my perspective that's one of the great weaknesses of people that only train in a system like say for example krav maga or, or any other reality-based system yeah yeah 100 percent. i mean I, I i kind of became and and people will know this, but I kind of became disillusioned with Krav Maga, you know, once I kind of, the more I was, I was working with a boss Rutten and a Randy Couture and, and a Rich Franklin and, and, and those kinds of people and, and seeing what Eric Paulson was doing and, you know, looking, especially at, and I've been, I've been doing jujitsu longer than I've been doing anything. Um, and, and looking at, you know, kind of the proliferation of mixed martial arts and jujitsu and wrestling and, and whatever. And Krav Maga still saying, basically, just don't go to the ground. And if you go to the ground, we'll just get up. And I'm like, okay, that sounds awesome. But I'm 5'7", 135 pounds. Like, <laughs> I don't think I'm always going to get that choice. Yeah. And, and I would really like to have um, a delivery system that understands the, the the real dynamic nature of, of, of fights and, and how I can train that in a way that 
gets me a feel for what that real pressure is like. And, you know, I, I, the more sparring I was doing and fighting I was doing and rolling and whatever. And, you know, I just, I, a lot of things really started opening up for me um, with holes that I, I saw in a lot of reality based systems. Um, especially when it came to like clinch work, you know, it was uh, virtually non-existent. Um, the, the vertical wrestling part of things where I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that most fights are won and lost there. Um, in, in, in the, uh, I would agree with that. I think it's, uh, we, we always, um, have the maximum that most fights go to the ground, but usually they go to the ground from a clinch. You know, they, That's they, right. No one, no one's shooting, a, shooting a takedown from two meters away. It's, uh, That's right. it's nearly always a clinch when someone falls over. Yep. And the better my clinch game is either the less likely I am that we go to the ground or if we go to the ground, it's on my terms. And the, the worse my clinch game is, the, the more likely it is that we go to the ground not on my terms and I end up on bottom. And, you know, that, that may be game over. I mean, if I hit my head on a car bumper on the way down, it doesn't matter how good anything else is um, if, if I'm unconscious. So we, we spend and spend a, a, a ton of time on the, the, the clinch wrestling, the clinch sparring range. And I think it's super important to, you know, in, in a weapons-based environment. Um, weapons, you know, when it comes to self-defense, tend to be very close range, whether they are close range weapons or not. You know, people want to get hands on, they want to intimidate, they want to move you, they want to, to push you, pull you, prod you, whatever. Um, and so if you can't clinch, I just, I don't think you can deal with a knife or a crowbar or a gun or any of those things. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the weapon defense, what I want is be able to control limbs. Uh, I think um, it might have been Matt Larson I had on the show who, who mentioned a statistic about um, you know, most police officers that were shot were shot within, you know, essentially within arm's reach. It wasn't from a, a, a long distance. It's, it's usually during an arrest and a firearm comes out. Uh, and yeah. I, I would venture that's probably the same. I mean, we, we don't quite have the same gun culture here in Australia, but uh, I would venture from my uh, research that's, that's similar in that um, most most of those uh, shootings happen at a very close range. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if, if I'm shooting you as a result of an argument, then we're probably, you know, just a few feet from each other. If I'm shooting you because, you know, it's a struggle because I was trying to carjack you or rob you or um, kidnap you, then... I'm going to be close to you. Um, and, and people that try to say, well, I would never get that close with a gun. Well, all you have to do is spend five minutes on YouTube and you'll find hundreds, if not thousands of examples of people getting very close with guns. Um, I, I, I could probably spend three minutes and find six different videos of somebody robbing a convenience store and setting the gun down on the counter to, to take the money. So, um, Everyone kind of assumes that it's an assassination. You know, it's, and uh, that's a completely different kettle of fish. I mean, if, so, if someone really wants you dead and they don't care about any of the other stuff, they just want you dead, then there's a very good chance you're going to end up dead. Uh, it's, it's not. <laughs> and, and, and that's a very disconcerting thing for a lot of people. And I, and I think this is where my, I, I don't know if it's my biggest contention with reality-based self-defense, but it, it's pretty close that we have an answer for everything. And no matter how bad things get, you know, there, there's this kind of all you have to do is approach. And I, I just think 
it, it's a fallacy and we're setting people up for failure. And, and in this context, failure might mean death or grave bodily harm. Um, if, if we're telling people, you know, well, if you end up on the ground mounted and the guy has a knife, all you have to do is ABCD, you know, I, I think we're doing our students a disservice because the, the truth is if you weren't good enough to avoid being taken down, mounted and have the guy draw, draw a knife, you're probably not going to be good enough to escape that position. Yeah. That's a and, bad idea skill set to kick in. I mean, yeah, man. <laughs> and, and, and nobody wants to hear that. And as an instructor, you don't want to say it because it sounds like a cop out or it sounds like, Oh, well, you just don't know how, or you don't have the answers or whatever. But I want to emphasize how important it is to control as many variables as possible before we get to that worst case scenario. Yeah, absolutely. I remember teaching a seminar with, uh, with Rich and uh, so it was just a bit of question and answer at the end. And uh, a lady asked, you know, I've got this question. What happens if, um, you know, I, I'm, out, I'm on my own and it's dark and uh, I've been walking and I've got someone mounted on top of me, pinning my wrist to the ground. And yeah. the question is like, well, how did we get here? Like, were you having a nap in the park? Or like, at what point did this happen? Because there's a whole bunch of prevention that needed to happen before that, before we got to this stage. Yeah. yeah this and, and honestly, I, like, I, I blame the reality-based self-defense industry for questions like that. Because we, we can go on YouTube right now and, and probably put about any extreme example you want to in there and we'll find somebody teaching a response to it. Um, and, and to me, that's a problem, you know, that this, this idea that we're just going to collect these techniques and, and not really address how we got there and not really address if we allowed ourselves to get here, we're probably not going to be able to get out of this. You know, at some point you're just too late. I mean, that's just the truth. And, and as an instructor, you don't want to say it. And as a student, you don't want to hear it. But to me, it's, it's not my job to make you feel better. It's my job to, to make you understand what the reality is. Yeah, I fully agree. And, but I do think it's kind of a natural evolution of you know, the way martial arts has, you know, I won't say always been marketed, but at least in the, the last 50 to 60 years in the West, that martial arts has always been uh, marketed on a technique basis. And it's always been about the, the still frame photos in Black Belt magazine of you know, defense against a right round kick and it's you know, a four step defense against this particular attack. And I, and I think the reality based evolution has just been making it making the attack sexier and sexier to so that people will watch it. Uh, and uh, as we do that, we get further and further divorced from what the actual reality is. Uh, and we start getting into things that no one's ever thought of just because it gets clicks. Um, and I think oh, yeah. realistically, I mean, if people knew how to shrimp better, <laughs> that, that would fix most of their issues. Absolutely, man. It, it, it's, it's so, so true, you know, and I, I, it bothers me because you know, if you take somebody like, um, well, I won't name an, a channel, but there are channels out there that will, you know, they'll post videos of, of martial artists doing really goofy things. And I think to most adults, it's obvious that these are very goofy things. 
So you're not really doing much of a service. You're not really doing anything by calling these people out. Um, the people that are, are more problematic to me are the ones that, that look a certain way and, and you know, they, they wear BDUs and they, they, they have all this tactical gear on and they say the right things and whatever. Um, and they, they have this kind of perceptual gravitas um, but they're really doing the same stuff. You know, it's still just, I do A, he does B, I do C, he does D. And, you know, it's still just those four step kind of responses. Um, but it's just repackaged and uh, something that's a little sexier, more tactical or whatever. Um, and, and to me, those guys are the ones that are a real danger um, to, to enhancing survivability because it's the same right if, if somebody comes to me and they say okay well what would you do if somebody put two hands around your neck and started choking you in a certain way I mean I would ask them probably eight or ten questions before I answered that and 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 then still at the end you know there would be some version of it depends because as I said earlier I'm not a big guy what well, makes no sense for me to ask somebody that's six one uh, 215 pounds to fight the same way that I do. Why, why would you do that? Um, or a female that's, you know, four foot 10 and 105 pounds. Well, she's not going to fight the same way either, but we can have principles that, that kind of transcend all of that. Um, if, if we're not building students that are problem solvers, then we're, we're really doing them a disservice um, because I could teach you a hundred different techniques and, and to a hundred different problems and A, you wouldn't remember them all, but B, you would for sure be attacked with the 101st problem. And because I didn't prepare you for, you know, problem solving, you're kind of screwed um, because you, you, you've collected techniques as opposed to, understood standing principles that that drive techniques um oh, you know, I, I taught a seminar recently with chad lyman who's a a great dude he'd be another good guest to have um and and he, he said you know techniques work and they don't work and he's exactly right um it's all about context it's all about the the, the person performing the technique and the person receiving the technique and sometimes it goes right and sometimes it doesn't yeah, I, I I love what you said there about problem solving. Uh, it's uh, I've been saying for a long time that that we need to move away from technique based solutions and now look at um, violence as a as a risk based or a problem based um, undertaking because techniques are not always going to be. There's so many variables that will determine whether a technique is the right technique. Uh, and it's if you if you get fixated on what the the uh, the catalog says is the right response to this, then you might just put yourself in more harm. Um, you know, I've told the story, I think, before on the podcast about um, going out for the first time after I had an ACL reconstruction. I was six weeks post-op. I was just off crutches and, uh, you know, ended up in a situation where I thought I might have to fight. Um, and I was with my, my then-girlfriend, now wife. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I, I can't stun and run because... I can't run <laughs> and there's multiple people and like, how much damage am I going to have to do to be able to limp away from this okay. you know, for three people out of commission completely just to be able to get away. Uh, and that was growing with my head quite because that limitation of having a significant injury um, just changed my entire you know, mindset. 
uh, let alone the physical techniques I would have been capable of in that state. So right. uh, the example I give all the time is like, let's say I, I pull up in a parking lot in my truck, I get out, there's a guy there with a gun, puts a gun to my head, says, give me the keys. Well, I mean, I pay insurance, have the keys. I don't care. I'm not going to fight, you know, over this truck. But if you drop me in that same situation and now my ki kids are inside the truck, well, now the totality of the circumstance is completely different. The, the risk to me is the same. The risk to the truck is the same, but everything else is different. Now, now I'm going to have to fight. Um, and, and those kind of variables are real life, real world, you know, just the difference in are my kids with me or not? And, you know, and to your point, even if you could, um, if you didn't have a physical impairment at the time, but you're there with a 10 year old child. Well, it doesn't really matter how fast you can run. How fast can you run with a 10 year old child? You know? So um, if everything is just based on a purely technical response, I think we're not doing students a service. I think we're not being intellectually honest with them. Um, we're not giving them the ability, the ability to solve their own problems in real time. And, and to me, that just comes with failing a lot in training, you know, touching hands with as many people as you can, putting as much stress on, on things as you can. Progressively, of course, you know, I mean, we, we have to build people up um, because what we do is daunting. And, and the, the, the irony is what we do is most daunting to the people that need it the most. Um, so being able to reach those folks is ultimately what's, what's really important. Yeah, uh, let's look at it for, from the other angle. Um, I think um, we, we've talked a little bit about some of the limitations in the reality-based world. Uh, I, I do see those that have a purely sports-based um, background, you know, usually younger guys that, that have done a bit of Muay Thai or MMA or you know, something similar, and they, they, uh, they think they have all the answers to, to real-world violence. For, the, for those people that have that training background, what do you think they can gain the most from studying a reality-based system, be it Krav Maga or something else? I, I think it's mindset, mentality. Um, understanding context, um, you know, if, if we look at jujitsu, for example, um, jujitsu is a great delivery system for controlling someone for, um, joint manipulations, for strangulations, things like that. Um, but by and large, jujitsu is designed to stay in jujitsu range, just like boxing is designed to stay in boxing range. Muay Thai is designed to stay in Muay Thai range, whatever. Um, if you're in a boxing ring and you, you take off running, you know, you're going to get disqualified. <laughs> um, if, if, you know, you're, you're in a jujitsu competition and I don't know, you, you, you pick up a chair and smash somebody with it, you're going to get disqualified. So um, I think having that understanding, especially like now jujitsu, everything is, um, and, and I think we can attribute a lot of it to social media. You know, everybody's looking for the, the next big thing, the next cool thing, you know, whether it's leg locks or um, lapel guard or, you know, whatever. Um, and, and from a sport context, those things definitely have their place. But from a real world violence context, a lot of those things will get you just straight up murdered. Um, so I think the, the biggest thing that 
straight sports guys can take away from from good reality based guys is you know a mindset a mentality not being um single-minded not being not getting tunnel vision um you know I, I i teach a class here called forge where um it's kind of a an mma based delivery system um but then we will also throw in multiple attackers we'll also throw in knives or guns or blunt objects or whatever um have to work off of a wall or in those kinds of things and so if we have somebody that will come in from one of our jujitsu classes or whatever, and, and in a certain context, they do great. But then once now we're dealing with more than one person or, you know, we throw in a knife or whatever, it's just completely different than, than what they're used to. And that's usually a really big eye opener. Um, now that said, you know, the, the flip side of that happens too. Um, if I take that same guy and I, I drop him into one of our defensive options classes, and we happen to be doing, doing ground fighting that day, um, he, he's going to be a real problem for, for people that are only doing, you know, a, a purely self-defense system. Um, so I, I, I think if, if the goal and, – and, and goals matter, right? You know, why, why are you training? Um, it's a, that's the best question. Why are you training? Seriously, like – I. If, if, if your goal is to get a black belt in Taekwondo, that's cool by me. You know, like I, I more power to you, man, have at it. Um, but if your goal is, is to be able to walk through a parking lot at night with your spouse and your kids and, and feel confident in your abilities to be able to de-escalate or your ability, your ability to kind of game plan and, 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 and deal with, Okay, well, what, what do I tell my, my family to do? And now how do I deal with this or whatever? Taekwondo might not be the best option there. Um, so I, I think people have to be honest with themselves about what they want out of their training and then make sure that what they're getting is matching that. And, you know, it's like in reality-based circles, a lot of times you'll see things that look super cool, you know, um, hostage scenarios and kidnap scenarios and um i don't know training on the beach or ak-47 takedowns or whatever right. and, I, and i think you know again if if your goal is just to do stuff like that because it's fun for you awesome but if that doesn't look like what your life looks like and your goal is self-defense you're probably not doing yourself a lot of favors there yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I often chuckle at what I see is uh, marketed as reality-based self-defense and think, man, if your reality looks like that, you, your, your def defense needs to be changing neighborhoods. Exactly. Like, <laughs> uh, what, if, you know, what if this guy has a knife and what this guy has a gun and blah, 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 whatever. And I'm like, well, what kind of life are you living to where you have multiple people with weapons wanting to kill you? I know, man. Maybe you should just like pick better friends. Uh, that's, exactly. that, might be the, that might be your best self-defense strategy. Yeah. Uh, I, one, of, one of the things that, um, you know, uh, when, when I talk about sporting martial arts, uh, people say, well, what about multiple attackers? And uh, my answer nearly always is, well, if you can't fight one person effectively, you're not going to fight multiple people effectively. Yes. So, I mean, if you can't, if, if you don't understand timing, distance, talk, and the, the ability to, to generate power in your shots against one person who, know, who you know you're fighting, 
Um, I'm not sure how you think you're going to be able to do that against four people you don't know you're fighting. So, Absolutely, man. Well, I'm right there with you. And it's the same with weapons. Like, if you can't fight one guy that's unarmed, well, you can't fight one guy that has a knife. You know, like, there, there's no... There's no all of a sudden magic technique that allows you to deal with this person just because he has a knife. Like that—that's crazy to me. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've said that exact same line about multiples. And and honestly, like no matter how good you are, I don't believe there's you don't fight multiple people. You may fight fight uh, one person multiple times, but like. You, engaging to it's hard enough to fight one person that wants to do violence to you if, if i have two three four and they're all engaging on me and i'm trying to engage all of them at the same time it just doesn't work man like i'm gonna take a beating that day and so if i don't understand like you said i don't understand movement and footwork and 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 range and timing and i can't develop power and whatever my shots are gonna be um I have next to no chance of being able to survive a situation like that. And two, you know, the, on the front end of that, you know, dealing with kind of pre-contact stages and, and the escalation and stuff like that and not letting your ego get in the way, um, I think is a, a really big thing, which I hate to, you know, keep harping on, on reality-based self-defense. And, and for sure there's, there's this in sport also, but I think a lot of times, we're, we're not doing our, our students a service on the ego front either. You know, I, I don't want to fight anyone ever. Um, I, I know what violence feels like, sounds like, smells like. It, it's, there's, even at the highest level done really, really well, there's nothing pretty about it, you know? And I, I don't want that any of my students to ever have to experience it. Um, so I want to make sure that they understand there's no glory in it. You know, I, I think in a lot of circles in our industry, there's this glorification of violence that I really wish would go away. Um, I think, A, it, it, it prevents a lot of people that really need what we do from seeking it out because it's scary. You know, it's, it's, skulls and flames and wolves and lions and shit and it, 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 you know it's like uh, okay I, I i don't want to you know i mean if i've got a 35 year old accountant that's never been in a fight in their lives they don't they don't want to go to some place that looks like that you know like what but they're the ones that need it the most yeah. um so th th those kinds of things man i just I, I get it from a marketing standpoint. Um, I get it from an ego-driven standpoint, but I don't personally care about any of that stuff. Like, I want I want students to be able to walk into one of my centers or to walk into one of my affiliate centers or prospective students and immediately feel comfortable um, because, and I talk about this in, in our instructor courses, the way we teach things is, is, is not an easy way to do it. It's not easy for us. It's not easy for the student. And, and so our marketing kind of reflects that as well. And, and people that really need what we do, they've probably gone to your website, you know, half a dozen times before they send an email. 
and they, they, they probably sat on whatever your response was for a couple of weeks before they showed up and, and booked a trial class or whatever. And so by the time that, that that guy or girl gets onto your mat, they've done three, four or five things that were already uncomfortable to them. And so I want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to walk that line between a, a reality kind of progression, a, a system that, that does what we say it's going to do. We're going to enhance your survivability, but we're not going to scare the shit out of you um, before you even get in the door um, because the people that really are, are going to benefit the most from what we offer will, will never do it if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, just changing gears a little bit. Uh, you mentioned you, you wrestled and uh, <laughs> I, I, I wrestled as well. And, and I, I've often said that um, there is no harder training in the world than, than good level wrestling. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that um, sporting martial arts can uh, can contribute because you'll you'll never find a competitive wrestler or or even a yeah, a decent level jujitsu player who who is unfit. Uh, and I think uh, fitness is one of the most undervalued or at least underemphasized aspects of being safe from violence. And if we take it away from you know, martial arts or self-defense, like just the, the ability to survive um, a threatening situation, the, the fitter you are, I think the, uh, uh, the, the better your survivability is. And I know your business is called Fit to Fight. So I just thought I'd, uh, I'd welcome your thoughts on, uh, on that particular topic. Yeah, for sure. Um, first of all, wrestlers are insane. Like the, the way that wrestlers train and their mindset and their mentality is just nuts um and a good wrestler will ruin a jiu-jitsu class real fast um so um I, I have a huge respect for people that that wrestle and coach wrestling um and and, and train in that way because that they're they're some of the most physically and emotionally fit people i think that there are um as to fitness you know to me again if, if if the goal is to enhance survivability well the, the reality is most people are not going to meet their demise by knife gun crowbar strangulation any of those things most people are going to succumb to heart disease diabetes cancer you know some sort of um in a lot of ways, lifestyle illness. Um, and so if my goal is to, to truly just make people's lives um, uh, longer and, and, and happier, healthier, whatever, then a huge part of that has got to be in fitness, you know, um, making people stronger physically, stronger mentally, stronger emotionally, um, being able to, to walk through to their car if, you know, uh, after a long workout, I, I, a couple of years ago, um, I, my wife and I and a couple of friends went, uh, hiking in some mountains and, uh, my wife ended up breaking her foot coming down. And so I put her on my back and carried her out the rest of the way. Well, I mean, what if you couldn't do that? You know, like then what? <laughs> I mean, you're up in the middle of the mountains. It's like, 
I, John Hines, who was the founder of Monkey Bar Gym, uh, told me one time my definition that his definition of fitness was I can do whatever I want physically whenever I need to. And that while that might be a little extreme, that that's kind of my approach too. Like if I if I need to run a hundred meters really really fast on command, then I I, I want to be able to do that. If I need to you know, scale a wall. I need to be able, I want to be able to do that. If I need to carry a person, I want to be able to do that. Um, and then ultimately, you know, I, I, I'm, if I'm healthier, I'm probably going to be happier. Um, I mean, we can go down the whole rabbit hole of, you know, it's going to be probably less expensive for me because I'm going to save in, in healthcare costs and whatever else. And then finally, you know, nobody's ever gotten in, in to a violent encounter and been like, you know what? I was just too fit in that fight. <laughs> I, mean, that, I wish I could have that earlier. <laughs> yeah, like in the history of mankind, that's never that's never happened. Nobody ever said, "Ah, oh, man, I was just too strong. I really wish I hadn't been that strong. I really wish I hadn't been that fit. Or I really wish I wouldn't have been that fast." Or you know, like these things matter, and 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 these are variables that I can control, um, at least to a, a large degree. Um, I probably don't get to control, you know, the time of day that I might have to deal with violence or the, the, the size or skill level or the weapons that might be involved or, you know, the, the numbers of attackers or the terrain that I'm standing on or any of those things. But what I do control is the amount of preparation that I put into dealing with those things. And, and a huge part of that, I think, is just being more physically fit, you know being stronger, being able to run a hundred meters and not die at the end of it. Um, I, I just, yeah, fit to fight is, you know, that that's, it's, it's necessarily that way. I mean, it was very intentional and the fit part is intentionally first. Um, because I, I think, sure, you can, you can fight and you can defend yourselves without being very physically fit. Um, but nobody can argue to me, that being physically fit, being emotionally fit will not help um, in a violent encounter. Oh, absolutely. And, and as you said, it, it goes so far beyond violence. I mean, uh, I, I used to be a strength coach as well. And I remember um, you know, having just general, well, yeah, gen pop, yeah, general population people that uh, just wanted to get a little bit stronger. And uh, you know, I used to say to, to women, like, uh, they, they don't always emphasize strength. And so you, uh, if your husband was unconscious and, you, and your, and your uh, house was on fire, would you be strong enough to drag him out of bed and out the door? Yeah. Is that, is that something that you could do? And if you couldn't do it, what, what position does that leave you in? You know, if, if you think to yourself, oh, you know, I, like I have to leave him behind. I mean, what a horrible situation to be in. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be that extreme. Uh, it, it just the ability to be able to function in day-to-day -day life or to, to assist someone. Uh, I told the story on Facebook just a little while ago that uh, I used to train at a, a fairly serious strongman gym. And uh, there was a really bad storm that, that uh, came up uh, one evening and, and these four strongmen were crammed into one car <laughs> and I was stuck in traffic. Got out to have a look and there was a tree that had come down across the road and blocked three lanes of this highway and the, the three guys are actually able to pick up the tree and move it so i mean, I mean just the the fortune of having three of the strongest people in the country and stuck in the traffic <laughs> seemed to help <laughs> but you know it's it's um 
you never know when it's going to come in handy. And, and I think from a, a self-defense point of view, we often get so fixated on, oh, I would just, I would just hit him in the throat and then I'd run away. It's like, well, how far can you run? When was the last time you ran? Uh, um, can you scale a fence? Uh, can you can you can you get over something or can you uh you know, can you evade somebody because if you've never tried that and you don't have a fitness regime then you're, you're assuming a lot oh absolutely you know and and we we run into that a lot here with gun guys you know oh well i'll just shoot them well a that's not always prudent you know not every altercation is a deadly force encounter um and b what makes you think you'll be able to get to your gun while I'm punching you in the face? You know, like there's a gun store here that sells a shirt that says, I'm too fat to fight. I'll just shoot. Well, first of all, first of all, you're a DA's dream, you know, because (laughs) any district attorney on the planet is going to eat you alive. If that's your, the shirt you're wearing. Um, But secondly, like, again, like what, what, what makes you think that you'll be able to get to your gun in a violent encounter before I just cave your face in? Um, and you know, that, that, that kind of thing just drives me insane. And back to your point about, you know, talking to women and the street thing, I, I think there's a, 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 well, I know there's a real sickness in the fitness industry too, where I, I think women, women are often told, well, you know, you don't want to do weight training cause it'll make you bulky or whatever. And I'm like, Dude, I, I lift weights every day and I try hard as hell to get bulky. You know how hard that is to do? Like, hey, it, it's not like you're going to pick up a kettlebell or you're going to pick up a dumbbell or you're going to pick up a barbell and all of a sudden you're going to look like Schwarzenegger. Like, hey, it, it, but I think that, you know, there's this um, sell job in the fitness world that you want this certain aesthetic and this certain aesthetic only comes through again, it's, it's like the self-defense industry. Well, all you have to do is, and again, I guess it depends on what your goals are, but if your goals are to be fitter, um, maybe look better, which I, I have no problem with that. Like there's not, to me, there's nothing wrong with, with training, working out to, to look better. Um, as long as you're doing it for you, you know, who cares? Um, if it makes you feel better about yourself, more confident, whatever, those things, transcend all parts of life. You know, if you feel better about yourself, you're more confident in your abilities, you're probably less likely to be attacked. You're probably more likely to ask for that raise that you, you think you deserve. You know, you're probably less likely to stay in a, a bad relationship. These are all good benefits of whether it's, it's fight training or self-defense training or, or weight training or any of those things. Um, and so I, I think, again, that, I know I've said it a few times, but even with like weight training, I think a lot of times the people that are, are needing it the most are most turned off by it because of the way that it's presented. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I often say with, with marketing and uh, with, with martial artists, yeah, stop trying to sell to yourself because you're not the sort yeah. of person you're trying to attract. You know, like, <laughs> I, that was a lesson I had to learn when I started teaching is I, I was creating marketing materials that would appeal to me. I thought, well, I don't need to appeal to me because I've already found it. <laughs> I need to appeal to people that haven't found it yet. Um, oh, man, it's so hard because like, uh, the stuff that I think is cool doesn't necessarily appeal to the people that haven't grown up around it. Absolutely. I've made that mistake many times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, coming back to the fitness, um, 
what do you recommend? Like, I mean, if, if you've got you know, uh, an average person who hasn't really exercised at all since, yeah, let's say high school uh, and is now touching on 40 and uh, is concerned that they're not able to, you know, physically manage a, a stressful situation, whether it be you know, self-defense or otherwise, where would you point them to as a starting point? Yeah, I, we, we, we try to take a pretty holistic approach to things when we can. Um, you know, I, 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 nutrition is another big part of, of things for us. So we, we, if we can have that conversation with people, and that tends to be the hardest thing, I think, for most folks is, you know, getting the a sustainable nutrition plan kind of dialed in. Um, so if we can do, have that conversation with them, we try to do that. Um, but beyond that, you know, I, I want people to get moving. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody say, okay, well, I want to start jujitsu as soon as I get into shape, or I want to come do, you know, um, a kickboxing class as soon as I get into shape. I'm like, dude, just come do what you can do. You know, um, now that said, I mean, I, we, we have members here that honestly, when they first started, they needed to just go get on a treadmill. You know, because it had been that so long since they had done anything physical, um, and, and they were so out of shape and so heavy that you know it was going to be super taxing on their joints and things, and and, and I think it was going to be frustrating and, and demoralizing and whatever. So to me, getting them doing something, getting them moving, but understanding from a coach's perspective that there's a reason that they got the way they are. And it didn't happen overnight and we're not going to, you know, flip that switch overnight. And, and, and so from a coach's perspective, I think we have to understand that. And that's something that we have to continue to, to remind our, our athletes, our students, whatever, you know, and constantly reframe to like, look, this is going to be a process. This is not going to be easy. It's going to take time. You, 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 you haven't done anything in 15 years and that 15 years has gotten you here. You're not going to get it all back in 15 minutes or 15 hours or 15 days. Um, so to me, like we offer a ton of fitness classes. We offer a, a jujitsu, we offer self-defense, we offer kickboxing, we offer all these things. But if I can just get them to come do a heavy bag class where it's coach led, all of our coaches are, they, they go through extensive training courses and they understand how to progress somebody through it. And I don't care if you can't make it through 10 minutes of the class. That's 10 minutes more than what you were doing before. Um, so to me, getting them moving is just priority one. Um, and in an environment too, I think where um, it, you've created a culture that's very familial and very, um, we're all in this together kind of thing to where nobody walks in and they feel like, they're being ostracized or they're being stared at or they're being judged or whatever. Um, I, I truly believe that most martial arts type uh, training centers the, are, are some of the most diverse places you will find on the planet. Um, I, I can look across my, my classes and, you know, I'm going to see, all races, I'm going to see gen all genders, I'm going to see all ages, I'm going to see all backgrounds, I'm going to see, you know, all sexual orientations, all these things. And, and, and nobody cares. Like, you, you're going to see super fit people and you're going to see people that are 100 pounds overweight. 
and they're all kind of cheering for each other. And, and, and I think having a culture like that, um, that you've engendered is so, so important for not just the success of your students, but for the success of your center. Yeah, absolutely, man. It is really special that, that you can create that. Uh, and I think it speaks to the universality of, uh, of martial arts and the, I guess the human desire uh, for, you know, I won't say for combat, but the human desire to be prepared. And I think martial arts really does, um, you know, it, it appeals to everybody. I won't say everybody. It appeals to, to all different demographics. Uh, and uh, one of the most beautiful things. I think on some level, you know, everybody at some point has said, man, I would really like to get in better shape or I would really like to lose, lose a few pounds or I would really like to get a little stronger or whatever. And if you create an environment where people feel comfortable doing that, um, then everybody wins, you know? And I, now I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do because it's not, um, but I, I think that should be the goal ultimately. It's like if I have a, a kickboxing class or a self-defense class that's, made up of six guys and three of them played linebacker in college and two of them wrestled in high school. And, you know, one of them used to box. Well, I'm not really, those guys are going to be okay regardless. And they're probably, you know, they're probably not like the prime target for violence. We're going to go around them. Right. So um, I, I want like my fight classes here. Um, are consistently 50-50 uh, men to women and sometimes 60-40, 70-30 women to men. Um, and, and if it starts dropping below that 50-50 mark, I start questioning what we're doing and what's going on um, because I, I, I don't want to ever look across my room and think, why, why do we have all these big, young, strong dudes in here? Not that I don't want them here, you know, yeah. but I feel like we're not, we're not putting out the right message. We're not engendering the right culture if that's what's happening. Yeah. And, and it's for the fitness or the martial arts, you know, people need to feel like, cause again, if you're way overweight, it, it, there's a reason for it. You know, there are some habits there that have developed over a period of time. And so you're going to, to, be less likely to walk into a place that is nothing but but a bunch of fitness model looking people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you, you probably uh, had the similar experience that that I did. Um, you know, finding Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in the uh, I started in two thousand and five, uh, and and here it was really still <laughs> like every Jiu Jitsu place was basically training. Uh, no holds barred fighters. It wasn't even MMA. I mean, most, there were still guys fighting bare knuckle and every jiu-jitsu place was like just full of animals. And it was, yeah, it was, it was cool for me, but um, for general population, it would have been, you yeah, know, not the most welcoming of environments. And, uh, and you see the difference in how commercially successful the schools are now that have figured out that uh, there's a whole bunch of people that would like to train jiu-jitsu or like to train martial arts that have no interest in being punched in the head a lot. That's right. Like, I, I mean, we, we have classes that have doctors and lawyers and accountants and, you know, bank execs and house moms and whatever in them. And if you're, if you're a lawyer, you don't want to go to, to argue a, a case in court tomorrow, you know, with your nose, not where it was the day before. Yeah. You know? so, <laughs> uh, I, 
I mean, we still want to train realistically, but we, we have to temper that as with, with some measure of progression and safety in mind. Yeah. And I think martial arts training of any sort, if you're, if you're investing you know, hours of your week that could otherwise be spent with your friends and family into an activity, it has to be contributing positively to your life. It can't be something you're doing for negative motivations. Like I'm scared of violence or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm paranoid about every person that crosses me in the street. Uh, like if you're, if you're training with that mindset, it's, it becomes an unhealthy pursuit and you're probably better off looking at counseling as opposed to training. Um, so I think I think there has to be that balance where where we're contributing something positive to society, whether it's you know, fitness or social or just the enjoyment of learning a new skill. Yeah, no doubt. I, I tell in instructor courses all the time. Look, we want classes to be challenging and we want them to be realistic, but they also have to be fun. Um, if, if people aren't enjoying it, if they're not having a good time, they're going to find something else to do. You know, um, we're not like, and, and I've been a part of these classes and whatever, and, but this isn't IDF boot camp. you know, the IDF will take you if you want that, you know, you can sign up, <laughs> um, but, but that's not what we're doing. Um, and, and most people have no interest in that. So if it's not fun, if it's not something that has kind of a, uh, a purpose beyond just the fighting part or just the self-defense part. You're right. They're going to find some other way to spend their time and their money and their, their resource. I mean, I have a, a center in Charlotte, North Carolina, where the area can, can, it can take you a, a good bit just to get there because of, of time and traffic and whatever. So even if you're taking an hour class or two hours of classes or whatever, you have to tack on another, hour or two hour of training i mean of of driving and and so it's got to be worth all that on, on top of whatever money they're spending and if it's not something they're having fun with it's not something that's enjoyable it's not something that they're looking forward to um they will find something else to do yeah, absolutely, man. Well, thank you very much for, for your time. If, if people want to know more about you, or they want to, uh, want to go train with you in the, in they're in the area or they want to find out where your affiliates are, where can they go to find out more information? Um, they can go to fit to fight.com and fit to fight Um, the fit to fight.com is, uh, that's more about kind of our affiliates, our, our instructor courses where they can, you know, see some seminars and those kinds of things. And then fit to fight Republic.com is relatively new. It's an online, uh, kind of resource, um, to where people can see a little bit about our curriculum, some of the seminars that we've taught and those kinds of things. Brilliant. All right, Ryan, thank you very much for your time, my friend. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you and, uh, for our Patreon subscribers, stay tuned and, uh, head on over to Patreon for the bonus round. Thank you once again to Mr. Ryan Hoover for taking the time to answer those questions and to be a guest on the podcast. Don't forget, if you'd like to hear the bonus content, head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash managing violence. 
Sign up to be part of the Tribal Council or the Tribal Elders and you will get bonus content each and every week as well as early access to every episode that comes out. It's well worth the investment, although I would say that because you're supporting me. So thank you very much for that. You may have heard my children in the background. We are all on lockdown thanks to COVID-19. I would wait for them to be quiet to record, but I could be waiting a long time and these episodes need to come out at some sort of timely fashion. So thank you for persevering. Uh, I'll be back again next week with another fantastic episode. And until then, I will talk to you again soon.